You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Hey everyone, well, good evening and thank you for tuning in. It is good to have you with us, whether you call Elam home or you're visiting or you're just a keyboard warrior. Either way, it is good to have you with us. I can't wait to share a message today called Copycat Christianity. Now, back in 2007, I began my Bachelor of Physical Education and Health. Now, the idea here is that after four years of hard work, I would emerge as a high school PE teacher. Now, part of our first year curriculum was that we had to pick a gen ed, general education paper to study that had nothing to do with what we were actually studying as to broaden our horizons and engage us intellectually with something that was different from the focus that we had. Well, like the rest of my classmates, I made my decision based on the path of least resistance. I just wanted to pick the easiest one I could possibly find so that I could get it all over and done with. And so I enrolled in Maths 101. Now I was pretty good at maths going through high school, so I thought this would be a breeze. I remember that the course started and the content was really easy. Like I'm talking ridiculously easy. And so when it came to the first assignment, I just knocked it out the night before, as was my custom, and turned up the next day to my lecture. Now we were meant to be handing in our assignment immediately after that lecture. Now sitting next to me was this guy that I had sat next to a few times and we had started to sort of build a bit of a bond and we were in the early stages of a friendship, but this guy was no good at maths. And I, I don't know why he picked maths 101, maths 101, but there he was next to me. And so I remember sitting in this lecture, listening like a good boy, and this guy, he leans over to me and he says, hey, um, how'd, you, how'd you go with the assignment? And I was like, yeah, good man. I smashed it out last night, ready to hand it in straight after this. How'd you go? He looks at me and he goes, yeah, I didn't do it can I copy yours? I was like, are you serious? It was like a huge moral dilemma for me because I knew it was wrong. And I wasn't a Christian at the time and I was still sort of toying over what to do here. I knew it was wrong to let him copy me, but I also kind of wanted to help this guy. I mean, we were kind of friends now and the truth is this guy was gonna fail without me. And so I didn't quite know what to do. Well, I only had a moment to make a decision and the pressure was on, so I decided to let him copy my assignment. Like a dimly lit underground dodgy drug deal, I just slipped in my assignment while I looked the other way. About 15 minutes later, he hands it back and he's like, I'm done. And so I glance across to see that he has in fact copied my assignment word for word. Like every word, every detail. I even had a scribbled out part and he copied the scribbled out part. I'm wondering what he wrote down just to immediately scribble it out. I remember looking at him going, bro, if you're gonna copy me, don't make it so obvious. Like at least do things a bit different, change some things so that the market doesn't know that you copied me or even worse, thinks that I copied you. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to copy someone in an assignment or an exam or anything like that, but it's generally frowned upon. It's frowned upon because we live in a world that values individuality, right? That values independence, that values you figuring it out all on your own. You know, they say that an imitation is cheap, that a copy is seen as fake, that a replica, well, it's just not the same thing. And we get rewarded for doing things our own way. But have you ever noticed so often that God flips things upside down? In 1 Peter, you get Peter. He quotes the book of Leviticus um, where God says multiple times, God says, be holy as I am holy. 
God's asking us to copy Him, to replicate His ways, to imitate Him. Now, I've been wrestling with this because as I read that, I'm thinking, how am I meant to be holy like God is holy? Like, I'm just an ordinary person. We all are. I'm an ordinary person filled with mistakes and brokenness. How am I meant to match up to that? Like the divide between where I am and where God is, is astronomical. And I've been wrestling with this because, well, I know that the victory of Jesus on the cross gives me right standing with God. I know that Him taking the punishment that I deserved meant that I could walk in freedom and be seen as righteous in God's eyes. I know that this free gift of grace allows me to be in the presence of a holy God and yet at the same time, I carry this deep conviction that when God says, be holy as I am holy, He's asking something of us. And God's grace doesn't ask anything of us. It's undeserved, unmerited favour. Now it does require our surrender, but when God says, be holy as I am holy, well, He's asking us to be and to act a certain way. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 3.11, he said, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, Christ Jesus. And Jesus speaks up Himself in Matthew uh, chapter seven from verse 24, he said this, he said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. See, it's one thing to know that we are to live like Jesus and to follow His teachings. It's another thing to actually live like Jesus, to be like God, to model our life off of His life. See, the world will tell you that to be an imitation makes your life cheaper, but when we imitate Jesus, it actually just makes our life sweeter. God isn't asking you to not be yourself. In fact, the Bible says that He uniquely knit you in your mother's womb and He has wired you in such a way so that you can make a unique difference in this world. If you haven't done it yet, you need to sign up to Growth Track so we can help you discover what that purpose is. There is no one on the planet like you. And that's exactly how God designed it. But if we're to live this life that God has created for us, Jesus is our greatest example. You know, maybe you've heard the saying, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, to imitate is to praise. To copy something is to say that thing was worth copying. And so when we imitate Christ, what we do is we proclaim Him to be the greatest example, that He is worthy to be exalted and lifted up and celebrated. Tonight, I wanna talk for a few moments on what it means to live our life Christ-like. And in order to be Christ-like, we first have to know what Christ is like. And I'm not talking about the beard and the sandals. I'm not talking about feeding the 5,000 or walking on water. I'm not only talking about the things that we can see with our eye, because if we only concentrate on those things, we'll only ever be adding a more attractive layer onto a broken frame. Kind of like spraying perfume on a casket. The aroma is sweet and the first experience might be pleasant, but when that all drifts away, we realise there was still something dead underneath. When the storms come, the foundation will be exposed. The surface level stuff, now don't get me wrong, it's, impo it's important, 
The surface level stuff, the stuff that we can observe with our eyes, it's the fruit of having a Christ-like spirit and heart. It's, it's the result of having a connectedness with Christ. That's why James said, having faith without works is dead. It's not that the works make us right with God, but that the faith we have should work its way out into works. That's how you know you have a genuine faith in God. It starts from the inside and it works its way out. And my wife Darcy and I, we've, um, we've been renovating our house that we live in. We bought it back in January and we've been renovating it and it's been a good time. We're almost done. Uh, we have just the bathroom and a few other little bits and pieces to do, but it's been a really cool experience. And we were committed right from the start to doing it really well. We didn't wanna just go for all the cheap and nasty options um, because we knew that if we did that, our investment would struggle later down the track. And so well, we wanted to play the long game. Now, one of the things that we've needed to do was to remove the wallpaper all throughout the house. Now, it wasn't that bad until we got to the master bedroom. Now, when we got to the master bedroom, some smart aleck thought it was a great idea to paint over the wallpaper because they couldn't be bothered removing that old layer first. They just wanted it to look pretty on the outside, so they just covered up what was already there. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to remove painted wallpaper. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. I'm convinced that hell is just a big room with painted wallpaper that you chip off millimeter by millimeter for the rest of eternity. Now, I'll be honest though, when I first walked into the master bedroom when we were doing the inspection of the house, it actually wasn't that bad. Like it seemed somewhat presentable. But now that we know what's underneath, Man, everything just seems so superficial. You know, removing painted wallpaper is so much more time consuming and painful than if the people had just removed it when they had the chance. This can kind of be like our lifestyle. What we once thought presented us well is no longer a layer we wanna present to the world. At some point we were making decisions for our life and for whatever reason at that point, we genuinely believed they were good decisions, but now, now that we're working towards something new, something refreshing, something of our future, what was once there no longer belongs. You know, when renovating, you can go for the quick fix, the cheap and nasty, but anyone who knows what they're looking at will see straight through those fake layers and they won't last very long. This is why Jesus had such an issue, issue with the Pharisees. These religious leaders in the Bible, they looked the part on the outside but weren't authentically God honouring in the inside. These people were like painted wallpaper, impressive externally, but broken and disconnected underneath. And when Jesus is talking about these types of people uh, in Matthew 15, He quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says about these people, He says, look, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, you and I are called to live a life that is Christ-like, to be like God, to imitate His characteristics. And this is on the contrary, this is the opposite of what we usually hear about going at it on your own, figuring it out by yourself, developing your own plan. But I'm so, God, I'm so, I'm so thankful that God in His grace sent His Son Jesus, who would be a tangible, observable example on how to live our best life. But there's a lot to observe about Jesus, isn't there? I mean, Jesus was a lot of things. Jesus was calm. In Mark chapter four, we see Jesus in a boat with His disciples and there's this huge storm going on and everyone's freaking out and Jesus just casually speaks to her and He says, silence, 
be still. And the calm, the, the, the storm calms down and it stops and Jesus turns to his disciples. He's like, what were you so worried about? Jesus was calm. Jesus was focused. How often did he perform a miracle? And then he said to that person, don't go and tell anyone about this until later because he didn't want the word to get out too early as to disrupt what he was committed to achieving. Jesus was forgiving, he was gracious and he was compassionate. I think of the story of the adulterous woman caught in the act and she's brought by the religious leaders to Jesus and his response, instead of condemning her is to forgive her, but to challenge her lovingly. Jesus was disciplined. In Luke chapter five, we read that he would regularly retreat and go to a private place to pray. He did this regularly. Jesus was disciplined. He was passionate. When people were mistreating God's house, he flipped tables and chased people out with a whip. I read that story and I'm like, how fast did Jesus make a whip? Like, did he just whip it together? I don't know. Like, was he like, hold my donkey. Here's something I prepared earlier. I don't know how he did it, but all of a sudden he made a whip and he chased people out of the temple courts for mistreating God's house. And as the disciples watched this, they remembered a prophecy from the Old Testament about Jesus where it said, passion for God's house will consume me. Don't you tell me my Jesus isn't passionate. He was inclusive. He spent time and he ate with sinners the people that the rest of society had turned their back on. And Jesus was patient. Come on, how many times did Jesus teach His disciples and they just froze like a bad Zoom meeting? Like they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to go forward. They constantly misunderstood and yet Jesus would take the time to patiently teach them again. Jesus is many things, but we don't wanna just add another layer on top. We don't wanna just honour Him with our lips, but have hearts that are far from Him. Now I've got a few core characteristics that I wanna share with you, core characteristics of Jesus that we could look to imitate if we are to live the life that Jesus has for us. And the first thing is this, um, Jesus was Spirit-led. Jesus was Spirit-led. I don't know if you've read your Bible, but have you noticed that everywhere that Jesus went, boldness went with Him? He wasn't phased by the storms. He boldly approached his fate on the cross. He, didn't, he never even shied away from challenging authorities and religious leaders on the truth about God. Jesus showed us what it meant to live a life led by the Spirit of God. Listen, you cannot live an empowered Christian life without the empowerment that the Holy Spirit gives. Jesus Himself, He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, implying that we don't have that power until we first commit our life to God and allow the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Could I challenge you tonight? I will, I've got the microphone and you're watching. When was the last time you took a Spirit-led leap? that you did something that God was nudging you to do, like, a, like an internal nudge or an internal prompt. Maybe it's sharing a word of encouragement with someone. Maybe inviting a classmate to church or just copying the link and sending it to a friend for our online services. Maybe being generous towards someone in need. That's not that hard, but what about this one? Being generous towards someone that doesn't appear to be in need at all, but God said give. Maybe signing up for a small group, group, even though you feel really nervous about it, and yet there's a nudge, there's a leading. You know, sometimes we can start our Christian journey with a hiss and a roar. I remember the week after I became a Christian, uh, I was online chatting to a uni classmate. It was the holidays, so we were just chatting online, and he was like, hey man, what have you been up to? 
And I just blurted out, I'm like, I became a Christian. He's like, okay. I didn't care what he thought about it. I was proud of my decision and I just wanted to tell everyone that would even lend me an ear to listen. See, we can start out spirit-led. And as time goes on, we can find that we start drifting away from that, beginning to rely on our own energy and our own strength. And the warning comes in Galatians 3.3. 3. It says, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? See, to stay Spirit-led, it's a struggle, but it's a struggle that is worth fighting. Being Spirit-led was God's design for you and I when He created us. Romans 8.14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You know, in a rattled and frazzled world that we live in right now in this moment, what we need more than political pipe dreams and lofty promises are the men and women of God to stand up and start leading with authority. And it's authority that comes not from our own confidence, but from the Spirit of God. Peter and John in the Bible, they understood this. This story is amazing. They're standing there in front of a council of men that have the power to take their life. Now these men that they're standing in front of, they hated Jesus and yet Peter and John stood there with boldness and they declared that there was salvation in no one else but Jesus. They said that God had given no other name under heaven by which people must be saved than Jesus. And this is their response. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were only ordinary men. That's so good. That means ordinary people like me, ordinary people like you could have extraordinary boldness if we would live a spirit-led life. You know, to be Christ-like is to be surrendered, to be in submission to the voice and the will of God, to be a mouthpiece for righteousness and to speak truth when we're able to say it in a loving way. If you wanna be Christ-like, you have to be tuned in to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Spend more time in His presence listening, actually writing down what you feel that God is saying. Spend more time reading His Word and meditating on what it is that, that you're reading and what He's saying. And the more that you do this, the easier and easier it'll become to live a Spirit-led life. Jesus was Spirit-led and we had to imitate Him. Second thing that Jesus was, is Jesus was servant-minded. Jesus was servant-minded. You know, Jesus, He had every right, every right. He was the Son of God. He had every right to be all about Himself but he continued to be all about others. This is part of the reason that people didn't recognise him as the Messiah when he was born. They were expecting a royal king, but there they had a baby in a manger. You know, to be servant-minded is, it's all about humility. It's about having a deep trust that God is the one that elevates, that God is the one that progresses, God is the one that advances and we can trust Him with that. We don't need to take those matters into our own hands, that we could give of our own lives and not be worse off for it, that God would honour us for the moments where we put the needs of other people before our own. Let's have a look at how Jesus did it. John chapter 13 from verse 12. This is Jesus, He's with His disciples. After washing their feet, He put on His robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because, well, that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash others' feet. He says, I've given you an example to follow. 
do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Not for knowing them. God won't bless you for your ability to recite them. God will bless you for doing them. You know, for me, one of the clearest examples and pictures I have of somebody that embodies this is Pastor Luke. I know Pastor Luke, his office is based out in our Manurewa campus now, but when it was here at our Botany campus where we're filming today, um, I remember when I was based here before we went out to Papakura as well, every time an email would go out to all the staff and interns to come down and rearrange the chairs in the auditorium, Pastor Luke was the first one down. Maybe it was rearranging it after the school had been in or after a big event. It was a range of different reasons. But Pastor Luke would always be the first one down here moving chairs. Now, if anyone in the building had a good enough reason to be doing something else with their time, it was Pastor Luke. And yet he understood that it doesn't matter how many tasks there are to do, because that list never ends. It's always worth making time to serve people and to be part of that bigger picture. I think of Pastor Steve and Pastor Bex. Love them, right? Our, our senior pastors. They will be the first ones here at the Botany Campus on Boxing Day with their kids, with their dog, packing down Christmas decorations. Now, as I thought about that, I realised that probably one of the main motivating factors is the fact that Steve cannot stand the thought or the sight of Christmas decorations the moment it hits midnight on Christmas. And I'll be honest, I'm with them. I love Christmas. Christmas is amazing up until Christmas. And so anyway, they are here every Boxing Day, packing down uh, all the decorations, getting everything set before they head away on holiday. See, these are people that understand that the road to the greatest level of influence and impact is one where you build a lifestyle of serving. And that's what makes them such great leaders. Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. But Jesus called them together, His disciples, and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus speaking about Himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. So you know what serving does? Serving position, positions you in a place of vulnerability because you're giving of yourself for the benefit of others. Now you have less, less time, less money, less energy. And yet God's promise for you when you do that is that those who refresh others would themselves be refreshed. Service opens the heart of people. One of the greatest steps that you could take to living a life that is Christ-like is to join the dream team at your local campus. See, Jesus, He was absolutely consumed with passion for the local church. And every gift that you have in your life, of which there are many, every gift except the gift of speaking in tongues, which is given to you to lift up your own spirit and bring encouragement to your spirit, every other gift was given to you so that you could use it to build up other people and build the church. You need to go through growth track. Discover where you would make the biggest impact and begin living like Jesus did, to give your life so that others might come to know the grace and the love of God as well. You know, in the American Revolution, the story goes that 
there was the civilian riding past on his horse and he came past a bunch of soldiers that were working to repair an old defensive barrier. And as he came across it, he noticed that their leader was yelling commands, yelling commands, uh, letting them know what to do, but he was making no effort to help the soldiers himself. And the civilian asked why. He said, uh, excuse me, sir, like, why aren't you helping the soldiers? And he was met with a very proud response. He says, sir, I am the corporal. Well, the civilian apologised, dismounted his horse and began helping the exhausted soldiers. When the job was done, the civilian, he addressed the corporal. He said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job to do and not enough men to do it, would you go to your commander in chief and I will come back again to help? The civilian was none other than George Washington, who would be the first president of the United States of America. Maybe you've heard the saying, but it wraps us up so well. If you are too big to serve, you are too small to lead. Jesus wasn't only spirit led, but he was servant minded. And the third thing that Jesus was that we could look to imitate is that Jesus was shepherd hearted. Jesus was shepherd hearted. You know, one of the things that stands out the most to me when I read about Jesus in Scripture is how willing he was to being interrupted away from what he was doing. Now, it always seems like Jesus was walking somewhere. Like he's just trying to reach his 10,000 steps every day. I don't know exactly what he was up to, but he was always on mission. He was going somewhere. He had an assignment from heaven. And yet, despite how busy he was, he always had time for people. Jesus shows us time and time again that the connections we have with other people are one of God's greatest gifts to us. Have you noticed that Jesus always stopped for strangers? He had a close bond with his disciples. He spent extended time with that man named Zacchaeus. You know, that tax collector ran ahead, climbed the tree and Jesus spent extended time with that guy and his whole world was transformed. Jesus retaught patiently when people didn't understand. The heart of Jesus, our greatest example was to value and care for the one not to get so caught up on task, on mission, on assignment, on work responsibilities, on hobbies. He showed us that stopping and caring for the one should be part of our Christ-like character. And that's why he said in Matthew 18, he says, if a man had a hundred sheep and one went astray, one went wandering away, would he not leave the 99 and go after the one? And when he found that one, would he not rejoice far more than the fact that 99 didn't go wandering away? Every person matters to God. And so every person should matter to us. This is why he would leave his throne in heaven to come after you. Who is it? that you could reach out to in this lockdown period? Who is it that you could love? Who is it that you could care for or encourage? Because shepherd hearted people are always on the lookout for those who are lost. This is why one of the core values for us as a church is that we invite others. We include people in our journey and in our life. Invitation isn't just something we muster up the courage for every once in a while or when we really get pressured by the preacher on the stage, but it's part of who we are because it's at the heart of God. You know, God may not have called you to shepherd many people. He may not have called you to be a pastor, but maybe, God is speaking to you about being a small group leader. 
Could you be like Jesus and just commit yourself to shepherding those that are closest to you? Could you be like Jesus and commit to being patient and kind and compassionate, firstly with your family? You know, a shepherd is someone that isn't afraid of the muck, who isn't scared to get close, who cares more for the protection and growth of those that are closest to them than they do of their own reputation. You cannot be shepherd hearted like Jesus and not expect to smell a little bit like sheep. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus said this, He says, I am the great shepherd. And then He goes on to explain how He is the Son of God. But He's trying to explain this to people that at this time, they're not convinced. These people we're trying to explain it to don't really like Him, but He says it like this in John chapter 10. He says, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. Speaking of His people, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given them to me and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. You know, I've discovered over the years that the more I get to know God and the more I commit my life to living like Jesus did, the more open my life becomes. My vision gets expanded. My love for others grows. My resilience in hard times gets stronger. My determination and my motivation become steady. Three of the most core important characteristics of Jesus that you could look to imitate in this next season would be to live a life that is spirit-led, servant-minded and shepherd-hearted. You know, Jesus, I mean, He can be explained in so many different ways, but there's actually something we can't imitate. There's something Jesus did that you and I couldn't achieve. See, more important than any other description of Jesus, it's probably this one, that Jesus is our Saviour. A perfect God dying in place for imperfect people. The Son of God taking on punishment that should have been poured out on you and I. You know, when Jesus went to the cross to conquer death and sin, He was Spirit-led to be there. He chose to sacrifice Himself, give up His own life for our freedom. He was servant-minded. And just like a shepherd who would leave the 99 and go after the one, there's nothing He wanted more than to be close and personal to His sheep. He was shepherd-hearted. Friend, God loves you. And He's been chasing you. He's been hunting you down. He's had His eye on you. He's in fact never taken His eye off of you. And heaven rejoices when even one person comes back into the loving arms of their shepherd. I'd love to pray a prayer in just a moment. I realise that people are watching from across all seven of our campuses, maybe other Elam churches, maybe other churches in this nation or this world. And maybe you've just stumbled across this because a friend sent you a link or somehow it popped up on Facebook. I'm not sure, but I can say this confidently that God is speaking to you right now. I know that because God always speaks to His people. And I wanna pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you wanna get your life right with God, if you wanna start this relationship with this Jesus that I speak of, this Jesus that is compassionate and kind and yet He's bold and courageous and has a plan and a purpose for your life, here is the greatest news you'll ever hear in your life. It's that there is nothing you need to do to get yourself ready to step into a relationship with God. You don't need to get your life sorted. You don't need to go and learn the Bible. There's nothing more you need to do except Jesus says, would you come and would you surrender?
exactly as you are right now. I'm gonna pray a prayer. If you wanna get your life right with God, if you want forgiveness for your past, new life right now, and the promise of an eternity in heaven, then you pray this with everything you've got. You mean this. And God's promise is that if you would pray this and mean this, you would be made brand new from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank You that You're an incredibly loving and gracious God, that You're not far away. In fact, You're very close. And I pray right now, God, for anyone that is wanting to commit their life to You, I pray, God, that You would meet them right now in this place, in this moment, wherever they're watching from. If you're at home, pray this prayer in your own heart. Say, Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I've sinned and that that separated me from You, but I believe that, Jesus, You went to a cross and You died so that I could walk in freedom. Today, Jesus, I ask You to forgive me and make me brand new. I choose to commit my life to you, holding nothing back in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.